Thank you very much, Terry. Now, before I start, a little advert for next week. Next week, the, uh, the word we're talking about is joy. And that's going to be the theme of the talk. And it's also going to be the theme of the worship. So uh, I know that you all get here on time anyway. But just a little encouragement for next week more than any other. We're actually going to be uh, doing something right at the start of the meeting. And if you walk in five minutes late, you might wonder what's going on. So uh, for next week, if you could be here on time, ready to worship God together, that would be absolutely fantastic. But today we're looking at the word church and the meaning of it. One of the most common things my friends who don't have a a faith themselves say to me is that basically they like the teaching of Jesus, but they don't like the church. They like the idea of faith, but not of organized religion. Do, do people say similar things like that to you as well? Okay, that's good. It's not just me then. That's great. When they say they don't like the church, what are they actually talking about? Well, if you ask that question, often it's to do with the wealth and the power of the church, and then they start talking about stuff like the Crusades, which is an absolute world away from our day-to-day experience of church. It bears very little resemblance to what we know. But it just shows that people have wildly different sort of experiences or stereotypes of what the church is. And the word itself can be used in so many different ways. Today, we're here in church. We're gathered as church. We came to church. Churches are meeting all over Shrewsbury, part of the church. Some churches meet in churches. Other churches meet in community facilities or schools. We're not just church when we're in church, but we do gather as church. It's no surprise, is it, that people outside the church are a little bit confused, given how many ways we actually use the word. And I think there's also some quite important trends uh, in the Christian community in this country when it comes to thinking about church and what it means. Some people have a very high view of the church. The church is being restored by God to its New Testament pattern. And as that happens, people come to faith, the Holy Spirit comes, the church is rising up and taking its place in society, and Jesus is coming back for his glorious bride, the church. Fantastic. For others, the church is a little bit more like the remnant uh, of Israel who stay faithful uh, until the end. And and we just sort of need to hang on by our fingertips and make sure there's at least a few of us still knocking around until Jesus comes and rescues us. And in the meantime, everything's going to get bleaker and bleaker. And for still others, there's quite a strong movement away from more sort of formal models of church gathering and attendance. And and you read books about it, and it's almost like every few months there's another book, and there's another sort of word that they use to describe this sort of thing, like liquid church or a church without walls. Uh, and, and people talk about models of church life which are really organic and, and, and less structured. And, and to be honest with you, I find those really attractive uh, when my alarm clock goes off on a Sunday morning. But, uh, and sometimes people, they're looking at expressing their faith uh, in a way to reach other people. And, and when they're doing that, 
uh, they use the word church. So things like messy church and cafe church and other ideas like that. Something different with the word church on the end of it. Still others say, and, and, and it's linked to that thing I was saying about uh, liquid church and, and that sort of thing. They say, well, if, whenever we gather together as believers, that's church. So let, let's just stop doing all the stuff around church in a formal way and, and let's just be church together. And each of those views has got its own strengths and its own weaknesses. Some people I know to have had the highest view of how important and amazing the church is have become very, very burned when it hasn't lived up to expectations and they've become really hurt to the point, uh, you know, I've got people who I'm friends with who've been on the staff of a church and then gone through a period of not being able to attend church because they've been so disappointed and so hurt by what's happened. Likewise, I know people who've thought to themselves, oh, I'm done with church. I, I, just want it, I just want to have fellowship with my Christian friends and it to be really organic. And, and they've either sort of drifted off into quite a lukewarm, self-absorbed sort of faith or they've reached a stage a little while later where they've thought to themselves, you know what, I'm actually missing many of the things that being part of a church community gave me. I'm going to go back to church, whatever that means. Often when churches work together on a particular project or uh, to do a particular thing like street pastors or Shrewsbury Youth for Christ or something like that, they start a project. And that's a Christian project and it's got Christian values and it's got Christian people. And it, lots of the things you would anticipate belonging in a church happen within that Christian project. And yet they will always be quick to say that they themselves are not a church. There's lots of different thoughts, there's lots of different uh, like movements within Christianity in this country, and we haven't even mentioned all the different denominations and all the different names and types of churches yet. It's a really interesting and important area. What do you mean when you say, think about, and talk about church? And what we're going to do in this series is continue to just go back to the Bible and, say, and look at what it says and then take our reflections from that. And the first thing to say today is there is what I've described as the universal church, the people of God. And there are also local expressions of church, local congregations, local gatherings of church. So you can use the word in two different ways to mean the church, all the people who follow Jesus worldwide, or a local gathering, a local congregation. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church. He's not talking just about a small community of believers in Jerusalem, even though that's how it would start. He's talking, Jesus is talking about his church through the ages, across the nations. I will build my church. And when we come to faith in Jesus, we experience adoption by our Heavenly Father. And, and that means something quite incredible happens, which is we become brothers and sisters with hundreds of millions of other people. With the other people in this room who follow Jesus. Just have a look around you. Just look around to the left and right and behind you. Surrounded by brothers 
and sisters. A wonderful and slightly amazing thing. And it means wherever you go in this world, when you meet believers, there is a connection. There's a, there's a fellowship that we can have with them because we're part of this universal church, this people of God. I remember going to a church uh, in Lanzarote when I was on holiday, and I thought I was going to the English service, uh, but it turns out that I wasn't. I was going to the Spanish service, and I'd like to say that I did not understand a single word of what happened, but it was absolutely wonderful. The presence of God was there. It was brilliant. I went to a church service in Mumbai in India, and I did get the right service this time, and I went to their English-speaking service in the morning. And then, because I was staying on to go for food with someone, uh, they invited me to stay for the Hindi service. Well, if I hadn't understood the Spanish service, I did not have a lot of chance with this Hindi service. I had no idea if they were even singing or whether it was tongues or whatever. Literally, I had no idea what was going on. The guy preaching was so excited, and I've not a clue what he said. And uh, I was quite interested because there was this prayer time at the end, and I was quite I quite wanted to go forward and get prayed for. But then I thought to myself, I've absolutely no idea what he's just called people up to uh, receive prayer for. And that could be a real risk, couldn't it? And uh, just imagine, like, who can come up with the most awkward thing you can accidentally respond to in a, uh, in a foreign language? But the point is, the presence of God was there. They were worshipping with words I didn't understand, but the Holy Spirit was there. It was really great. I could feel at one with those people, my brothers and sisters. We should expect fellowship with other believers wherever we go and whenever we're with them. Matthew 18 verse 20 says, For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And we experience this when we, uh, we've all got the Holy Spirit inside of us and as we come together, Wherever that is, we experience something of God. But there's a lot of people who are talking um, about sort of breaking away from traditional views of church and traditional models of church who would use this verse and say, well, that means all we need to do is have fellowship with each other and Jesus will be with us, so that's great. We don't need the larger organizations. We just need to be together because where two or more are gathered, Jesus is with us. And I think there's a real misunderstanding about this verse underneath that way of viewing things. And I'm going to come back to that later. So everyone who believes in Jesus all over the world, all those who've declared him to be Lord, repented of their sin, turned to follow him, are part of this universal church. Peter wrote a letter to Christians who'd been scattered across various provinces. So he wasn't writing to a particular place or a particular congregation. He was writing to all of them. And he says to them in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a priesthood, a nation, God's special possession. He's made you a people, the church of Jesus Christ all over the world, all through the ages, God's special possession. And there's two signs that Jesus gave 
to the church to affirm our faith to individuals and to us together, communion and baptism. And so it's brilliant to be able to do this subject on a communion Sunday. Two signs about what Jesus has done. Two ways that we can affirm our faith. One happens at the beginning of our faith journey and the other happens regularly as we go along. So baptism, we had a baptism last week. We've got um, another one, uh, not last week, was it the week before? We've got another one coming up uh, in a couple of weeks' time. We love to get involved with baptisms and it signifies a cleansing from sin. It shows that the old life has died and the new life has begun. It identifies us with the death and the resurrection of Christ. The church through the ages, the church across the world, at the beginning of people's faith journey especially, to have that identification with Jesus, his death and his resurrection. When they go under the water, do you ever hold your breath for a split second? Just waiting for them to come back up and then, hooray, they've, you know, we're actually celebrating life as well. And uh, it's always a bit of a relief when, uh, when they come back up because Jesus did rise from the dead. And I've got to say that when we did baptisms in the river recently, um, there was a moment uh, where about halfway through one of those baptisms, I thought we were all going to give a sign of uh, what happened to Jesus. And I was very delighted that they came back out of the water and we were able to stand firm. And uh, that was a, a really good public example of doing it. And communion is also a sign as well. The bread being the body and the wine being the blood of Jesus. And Helen read those verses from Matthew this morning where Jesus says it's the cup of the new covenant. It's the cup of a new relationship, not the old covenant between God and Israel, but a new covenant between God and all those who are in Christ. A new sense of identity and belonging. But if you go to churches all over the world, you're going to get a very different opinion over who should take communion, who should, uh, who should um, administer communion, how often it should happen, who's allowed to do it, when you should be baptized, how you should be baptized, who should baptize you. There's lots of variety amongst the church, but communion and baptism in some, port, in some part are clearly the signs of the people of God all over the world, and it's part of our witness. The, the, the bread and the wine giving witness to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, giving witness to his redemption, giving witness to his sacrifice has happened across the nations of earth for hundreds of millions of people this week. It's part of our collective witness as the universal church. And another thing to be really clear about is whenever the Bible talks about church, it is talking about people. Using the word church to describe a building is a little bit tricky. We know what people mean, but the church is the people. And this becomes uh, even more obvious on a local level when you're talking about a gathering of people, an ecclesia, uh, an assembly, a crowd, a coming together of people on a local level. Think of a school assembly. Without the children, it's just an empty hall. Think of a football crowd. Without the people, it's just an empty stadium. And I'll leave you to insert your own joke about Shrewsbury Town at that stage. I'm not going to make that easy for you. 
But Peter's talked about this universal church. He's given them some amazing promises. But just before then, in 1 Peter 2.5, he says this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So even uh, in the context of his great description of the people of God, it feels like there's, there's a nod here to the fact that we're actually being built together on a local level. If you go to a builder's yard, there are usually a lot of bricks. They're universally bricks. They're just like each other. They're united by being bricks. But then when a brick is used in a specific building, it's not just a brick universal, it's actually built into something. The bricks in my house are not just bricks anymore, they form parts of walls and load-bearing structures, and now they are a unit, they are a house, a whole. New households are being formed from these living stones the church on the local level. And we see this right the way through the book of Acts when you see what actually happens. They go to a place, people come to faith, the Holy Spirit starts to work, the apostles teach them, leadership is raised up and these communities come together are known as churches. The gatherings of people in a particular place. Particular people in a particular place and they call them churches. When Paul writes letters, you see that he's actually writing letters to specific people, to the Galatian churches, to the churches in the province of Asia Minor, to the churches of Christ in Rome. He's writing to specific groups of people, local churches, specific communities that he could name. He could name the people and the place, who their leaders were. And we see that all over the world. All Christians all over the world are part of the church, but there are also local churches all over the world as those people gather with one another. But then it does get confusing because roughly 2,000 years of people disagreeing over politics, people, preferences, and parchments means now we've got like a million different types of churches. Baptist, Methodist, Anglican, Catholic, Pentecostal, and it can be very confusing for people both Christians and people outside the church. But one thing we should really consider is that if the people in a church community are truly believers in the Lord Jesus, then they're part of the universal church. So we need to be kind in our attitudes to one another because ultimately we're all on the same side. But when we talk about this local church then, what would be the hallmarks of a truly biblical local church? What are the kind of things we're going to be looking for. Gospel mission is a really important part of the local church. The purpose of the church is to declare the good news of Jesus and to express his love. And how quickly can a community become inward-looking and only based on our own needs rather than expressing that love and hope? to the people outside. We, as the church generally, but also as a local congregation, we represent Jesus here on earth. In our individual lives, yes, but also together as a church. We are his body here on earth. So gospel mission is part of a healthy local church. Bible teaching and prayer, that's Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. 
And really, we shouldn't move on very far from that point. Understanding the Bible, understanding the truth of God, understanding our, who he said that we are, and praying, inviting God to, uh, being in conversation with God in life. Worship is also really important for these gathered communities of believers. In Ephesians 5 from verse 18, it talks about when you come together, bring hymns, psalms, spiritual songs. He says to them, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. There should be worship, and worship can be uh, done in all sorts of different ways, but there should be worship. I think it's interesting that we've heard Uh, We've had some great hymns this morning, haven't we? We've heard some really good hymns. And that's really interesting because what we've done is we've actually taken some of the great truths of the faith from generations past, and they wanted to share those great truths with their generations. And so they've written these wonderful hymns, and now tens and even hundreds of years later, we are still declaring the truth in the way that they wanted to express it. And it's almost like singing a hymn like that. It's almost like placing yourself in the flow of history. Placing yourself in the flow of history. These, are, you know, in a, in, a, in a different generation in this country, the Christians declared their faith in this way. And you know what? We're standing on their shoulders. We're living in the inheritance of what they experienced. And we're singing a good old hymn. And the new songs are great too. And one day there will be people singing what feels like the latest song to us and the kids will be going, oh, not this old one again. And, uh, and, and they'll be singing that. And actually our generation will have passed on some of the truths of what we've discovered in our day through our worship and through our songs and our music. Local church communities in the Bible also seem to have a clearly defined leadership Titus 1 from verse 5 talks about the appointment of elders. In 1 Timothy 5 from verse 17, it says that they should direct the affairs of the church. And this isn't some overpowering thing because there's also a lot in there about leaders being servants, being kind, being gentle. But there are people in place within a local church community to quite literally shepherd things along. That is really important. Baptism and communion is there. If those are the signs for the universal church, for all believers in every generation, then they should be apparent in the local church. And it's interesting because that's when baptism becomes almost like an entry point into the local church because that's when it becomes clear that you've come to faith, whereas communion is what we do together to affirm and to show our relational connection with both the Lord and each other. So baptism and communion are really important. And there's a sense by which it's a defined community of people who have a living faith. In order to be truly part of a local church, you need to be part of the universal church, that is to have a faith in Jesus. And there might well be people in any church gathering who are still testing it out and they're not sure where they are on their journey of faith. And that's fantastic. Like if you're in that position here this morning, you're so welcome, you're part of our gathering. That is absolutely brilliant. But there is something really important Um, in terms of like a a membership and and understanding commitment in a local church that people are Christians for themselves and that they know that the people around them are Christian 
believers. Now, I came to a fun day here uh, a couple of years ago, very similar to the one that we're having, um, the family fun day. And, uh, and I got chatting to a lady uh, with, with her children, and I had my kids there, and, uh, and I asked her if she was involved in a local church. And she said, yeah, this is my church. And so I said, all right. I said, I haven't met you on a Sunday, so sorry, you know, there's often quite a few people around. I haven't met you yet. She said, well, I've never been on a Sunday, but we've been to Barney Tots. And she introduced me to her three children, all of whom were now older than Barney Tots, and told me the years that they'd been part of Barney Tots. So she was part of our wider community, which is fantastic, and she considered this to be her church above any other, which is a wonderful thing. But we don't necessarily count her as a church member as such because she wasn't expressing having an active faith for herself. And sometimes churches attempted to include everyone from all of their activities in their numbers, even if those people have an active faith or not. And sometimes those people don't even know that they're being counted. And uh, we need to be a little bit careful with that. We want all of our gatherings to be open, to be welcoming. We'll explain what's going on because we recognize there'll be people here every week who are looking in and seeing how it all fits together for them. But we do also want to have that definition of who really are sort of members of the church, which is defined by personal faith. Having like a clearly defined church community like that goes against people who say, oh, let's just meet and Jesus will be with us and let's keep it all really fluid. And I just want to go back to those verses in Matthew 18 again, which people say, well, if we gather together and Jesus is with us, then let's just do that and he'll be there and it'll all be great. And I don't think those give us permission to bin off being church in a more formal sense. Because Jesus is talking in that passage about what to do with someone if you've got a problem because they've sinned. And it says that you go and talk to them. And then if they don't listen, then you go and talk to them with a couple of other people. And then if you can't sort that out, then you take the problem to the church. And taking it to the church almost certainly involves taking it to the leaders of the church to sort out this issue of sin in someone's life. And it says that if you can't sort it out at all and this person refuses to change, then they can't be part of the church community anymore. So the context of that passage, that if two or three gather, Jesus will be with us, the context of it is that there is a known church community. It is a defined community. You can take the issue to the church. And if you can't sort things out, it's going to be very difficult for that person to sustain their place within the church community. When two or three are together and in agreement, Jesus is with us, but the context of the passage is they're trying to sort out an issue of church discipline. So the idea that those verses mean that we we don't need to have church anymore because Jesus will be with us wherever we go, well, that is true, but that is not what that passage is talking about. It's talking about believers together in a defined Christian community, the church. And then the final point of a healthy biblical church, this isn't an exhaustive list, by the way, but a, a final point that I'm going to make today comes a relational commitment, people relating to each other. Leadership relating, committed to the people. People committed to the vision. 
When Paul writes his letters to individual churches, you can hear such relational connection and affection between people. We're not called to just sort of sit next to each other on a Sunday morning and put up with each other. That isn't what being part of the same church is. There's a relational commitment, a relational connection that comes from being family, from being brothers and sisters. So this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a few absolute key hallmarks of what church really is on a local level. And and we can't really just add the word church to stuff and call it a church if it doesn't bear the hallmarks of what a church really is. It needs to have these things. But then when it meets, where it meets, how often it meets, how many people meet, it makes no difference. I think quite a lot of time when people want to do something different, they don't feel they can call it church in the same way because it looks so different to sort of Sunday morning Western Christianity. So that's what they're rejecting. Whereas actually six people sitting on the floor together in someone's flat on a Friday in the Muslim majority country is just as much a church as an American megachurch with 30,000 people and the pastor on Christian media channels, because these hallmarks will be exactly the same. But people say that, well, church isn't really working, and, uh, you know, let's just move a few of these things to one side and do everything slightly differently. And I've got serious reservations with that. To stay healthy, the church needs all of these things. I heard someone say, it doesn't matter if we eat pizza together, if we're doing it together as believers, then that's church. What do you make of that statement? Now, I really like pizza. I love it. I love the Pizza Hut buffet. Get involved. I love a, or any other buffets from any other similar establishments. I, uh, I love a proper Italian pizza. I would be part of a church where there was pizza. Pizza night social. I'm up for that. Pizza-based outreach. I was told at the, uh, before the meeting, Dan mentioned to me that the pizzas at the beginning of the Youth Alpha were a fantastic uh, attractional model for the teenagers coming to that. That sounds brilliant. Yes to pizza. I'm well up for pizza. But just eating pizza together as Christians doesn't make it church. Now maybe we do need more flexibility in how we live out our faith and in what our church structures and meetings and what our outreach focus looks like. Maybe we do need more pizzas together. But the strength of any church, whatever you've chosen to do, however you've decided to frame it, will be found in the gospel mission, in the Bible teaching, in the prayer, in the worship, in the leadership, in the clarity of being part of the community and an open-heartedness to people not in the community. And ultimately, the most important thing will be the relational strength between those people. 
I don't think we have to choose. Let's have all of it. And I've just spoken for nearly half an hour on the church, and I've not even hardly mentioned the family of God, the bride of Christ, a holy temple, the body of Christ. There's so much more to say, but that's another five-week series that we'll do in 2025 or something. The main headline for today is the church is really important. The church universal and the church local. Let's love both, let's honour both, and let's be both. Thank you.